Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. I promise you, Harry Eustace, here he is alongside Cornelius Lyser. Harry, great to see you. Thanks for having me, Nick. Are things going well? Uh, very well. Yeah, very happy how it started. So. I was going to say, you nail a Royal Ascot winner in your sort of second season officially, but sort of first season where you're having a, a full go at it. You're setting the bar quite high for yourself, aren't you? Yeah, we, we, uh, we didn't necessarily expect it, I suppose, just because it's always so tough, but to, um, to get on the board so early was, was you know, massive for us. And uh, as you say, now we've just got to keep doing it. And are you feeling, are you feeling the recognition now from, from the sport? Um, I don't the recognition, but uh, it was a real marquee winner, and they're the ones that really proved to people you can do it, and that they put their trust in you with with sort of better quality stock. I think is the main thing. Well, it's great to see, of course, Cornelius marquee winners and and marquee races is apparently what the new. The new strategy is all about. It's, mm. the, it's about burnishing the best of the sport. How have the before we speak to to Richard Wayman and to, to George McGrath from from NARS and to, to Rafe Beckett, chief executive of the National Trainers Federation? So much Federation. to talk about. So much to talk about. How how has the sport done this week? How have the BHA done? Do you think? Uh, I, you've got to give credit, haven't you? The fact is that people have sat around in studios like this and in racecourse bars and in other parts of racecourses and racing stables across the industry and said, gosh, somebody's got to do something at some point because we're not feeling as positive and confident as, uh, as we have done in the past. Now, they've, they've come out and they've, uh, they've done, uh, as uh, Julie Harrington said on several occasions, this is obviously the inexpression, a piece of work. Uh, we've done a, a, the start of a piece of work, which is the working out a strategy to uh, increase the fan base, raise the profile, etc., etc. So uh, we, credit has got to be given. Yeah. Uh, clearly, some parts are going to be more, uh, better received than others. I think the vagueness at this stage is probably a little bit frustrating. So we know about uh, the shop window. We know proposals for for Sundays, though some of the quotes around Sunday uh, racing, we've got to make Sundays better, are exactly the same quotes that were being used by uh, the upper echelons of racing in the 1990s when Sunday racing actually got going. And famously, it hasn't really uh, done as well as it uh, probably should have done on a Sunday. There's a certain amount of vagueness. For example, and this is perhaps a, a question for Richard in a second, you know, that we're talking about a shop window on a Saturday afternoon where three three fixtures are going to be concentrated upon. 
Now, there are other people around. Yesterday, for example, Chester and Cartmel. So what are you going to give or what are you going to say to Chester and Cartmel to sort of soften the blow if they're elbowed out or, or if Goodwood is elbowed out or, or whatever it is? And I thought some of the talk around that was a little bit unnecessarily vague uh, at this stage. But as a move forward... It's not going to be popular with everybody, uh, but no big moves forward like this are going to be absolutely 100% popular. But it's, I think some credit has to be given that somebody's actually doing something. Yeah, and this is something that has been launched in, generally speaking, uh, a, a sea of goodwill. Yeah, there's one or two mm. dissenting voices, but generally there's a lot of goodwill to the idea that the sport is getting together. When you look at this, Harry, before you, you embark on what is a, an incredibly busy day or week or you know, period in, in your life, you look at this on paper, do you think this is actually going to make a material difference to the way I operate, the way my life is? I think any big changes like these, your day-to-day -day running doesn't change much because they're trying to look you know, much bigger picture and a much broader view over a sort of five-year period, which we won't feel for a long time to come. So, uh, as uh, as we were saying, it's very easy to sit and criticise and not offer sort of solutions instead. But I think we have to allow time for this to settle in, get some more specific points, and just sort of see. Where, where this takes us in a year's time or so. And the magic word has been pilot this week, hasn't it? That these are various ideas being thrown out. The, the, the um, Saturday afternoon two-hour shop window, which is going to come in for on two-thirds of Saturdays next year, is clearly the top line. But it is a, it is a pilot. Things are being trialled. The Sunday night thing, which has caused um, we'll a lot of... That, yeah. uh, well, there's, has caused a lot of um, uh, consternation dash interest. You know, it is a six Sunday night pilot at this stage. Now, if you're not going to... Uh, you're, you're not going to sort of experiment with one or two things that may or may not work, then surely you're not really doing the job that, um, that, that you're there to do. So some things they're going to knock straight out, aren't they? That doesn't work. That, well, hopefully. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. All that worked really quite well, and then let's concentrate on that. So the word pilot's been well used in all of this and uh, is clearly very relevant. It was a two-year two pilot, isn't it? Yeah, let's try and get some specifics then. Richard Wayman's the Chief Operating Officer for the BHA and, and joins us now. Uh, morning, Richard. Good morning, Nick. Uh, a busy, exacting week for you and all, all your team. Let's talk about this two-hour window, first of all, on a Saturday afternoon where you've got your two premier fixtures will be allowed to take place within that window and one core fixture. So uh, two of the best meetings and, and one other, and the others will have to shift their timings around to accommodate that. Um, let's just take yesterday as an example. How would that have worked and how do you start, decide what the premier fixtures are? So the, obviously the concept of premierisation is all about trying to make the very most of our, of our best races and Saturday afternoons be, being key to that. So the, the, the detail of that is that on most Saturdays through, uh, through next year, between two and four o'clock, we will, we will limit ourselves to three fixtures with the other fixtures that take place on that Saturday afternoon being given choices to move elsewhere on the Saturday or alternatively to move to a different day of the week. We suspect in the vast majority of cases, um, the racecourses will decide to stay on the Saturday, and in the, again, in the majority of cases, to move to later in the afternoon. So as we've seen in some other countries, including Ireland, increasingly see more fixtures around late afternoon or even into the evening, 
leaving that two till four o'clock period really with an opportunity for us to focus on our our best horses our our, our leading our leading races and uh, our key personalities I, I get that i i what i couldn't quite work out is how say so take yesterday as an example haydock york chester goodwood cartmel we're bet without cartmel how do you decide which are the two premier fixtures? How, how, how are they given that billing? Is it just on how much prize money they're putting on? Well, what will happen with premier uh, fixtures is that we'll give uh, a criteria for fixtures, uh, for premier fixtures. It's in relation to the uh, types of races that are being staged on the card, the quality of races, the prize money, and also the fact that it's on, on television, on ITV. And so any racehorse can apply to stage a premier fixture, but in, in the vast majority of cases, only those highest quality uh, fixtures will actually meet that, that, that bar. So that will probably be up to two premier fixtures every Saturday. Um, yeah. some, some days there may only be one, but sometimes there'll be two. Once we get beyond those two, then there would be a set of criteria um, that we uh, would apply to determine which of the uh, the, of the remaining fixtures um, basically get preferred in terms of which remain in that that two till four window and, and which would have to which would have to move. I would say in practice we are working as well with the race courses involved, those courses that would be displaced to try and reach an agreement on this. So this is all done in the most constructive and collaborative way rather than just um, forcing uh, racecourses to move against their wishes. So it's it's a it's a it's a combination of, of criteria in those discussions. But at at some point, somebody, maybe you, maybe somebody else at the BHA, has to make a qualitative assessment of those cars and say, if there's two racecourses who say we want the third slot, you're going to have to say sorry, it's you because prize money, or it's you because listed exactly. race or and th- and that will come back to the to the criteria that I'm talking about which will be around prize money it will be around attendances it will be around the coverage on 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 television and that will help us determine which of the uh, which of the fixtures would be preferred ITV it seems are not envisaging any great change to the way that their broadcasts are shaped at the moment on a on an ordinary I say ordinary on a regulation Saturday so not at Epsom or not Royal Ascot or not Champions Day they tend to show now nine or ten races that's quite a that's quite a full program and it tends to be from at least two venues and and maybe a third so effectively they're doing that shop window premierization for you on the main network as things stand that's not going to be very different, is it? No, I think I, I think that's fair. I think certainly on a Saturday afternoon, um, ITV already already basically undertake that. So I think there's a couple of things to say. First of all, what we're looking to do, and as we've touched on, as you touched on in your introduction, is potentially open up some better racing on a Sunday that may be of interest to to ITV, and hopefully over time would see more quality racing being televised in other slots beyond beyond the Saturday afternoon. Um, so I think I think there's an element of that. I think the other point to make as well um, is that increasingly, when we look at how uh, customers are consuming sport, and I'm not just talking about horse racing, it's not all through terrestrial television. And so, although there is a degree of um, our existing customers already watching ITV, and that being hugely important, obviously, to to our sport, the coverage, the excellent coverage that ITV provides. We have to also acknowledge that lots of people, particularly younger people, are consuming their sports in different ways. And therefore, perhaps that need to pr- 
premierize and to create that space is, will be important to help uh, engage new audiences who, who are perhaps watching racing um, through through other means other than just watching ICV on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, through what what other means are you thinking? Well, that's through other through, through various online platforms, whether it's through different websites. You know, one of the issues that uh, we've identified with the uh, betting companies, and obviously lots of people would be watching uh, racing uh, on online through those platforms, is that the races obviously all run into each other on a Saturday afternoon when you've got five, six, even seven fixtures taking place at the same time. So, so there definitely is a challenge for us in terms of how we better space that product out so that people who are consuming their sport through those uh, other platforms can get the opportunity to actually uh, understand a little bit more about the importance of races, you know, the significance of, of, of our runners, learn more about the personalities rather than, mm -hmm. as can happen at the moment, bounce from race to race to race on Saturday with no time for that sort of reflection. But at the moment, Richard, though, the, each individual race course has its own dedicated watch and bet stream. So if you are betting through your, your mobile app, you will be watching the stream from that race course rather than hopping from, from race to race on that, on that streaming platform, if that makes any sense. Am I getting from you then that you would advocate a situation whereby there is one consolidated stream if you're, if you're betting through your, through your mobile app and therefore you are automatically taken from Chester to Goodwood to York? in a consolidated streaming broadcast service rather than having the dedicated streams that we've got at the moment? I know. I think what, I, what I'm saying is that when you currently watch a race through those streams, very much the, the broadcast comes on immediately before the race and Im immediately after, after the race. And I guess what we'd like to do is work with the betting companies and the media rights companies to have more time so that... Um, rather than bouncing from race to race, people can actually uh, spend some uh, some time watching a preview of, of that race and indeed afterwards more reflection on the race rather than it cutting off 30 seconds or so after the race has, uh, has, has finished. Let's talk about the, the Sunday evening proposals, which is to pilot six Sunday evenings under floodlights between the months of, of January to March. I'm, I'm really intrigued to know where the, where the drive was behind this from, from racing's customer base. Who said, this is what we really want? We want racing in the winter, under floodlights, in the evening. Um, we uh, are aware that through our discussions with primarily the betting companies and uh, some betting customers that Sunday, well, let's, let's go back a step. Generally, uh, behaviour in, in, in betting, uh, betting customers has changed uh, in recent years. Obviously, you go back a few years and most people were betting in betting shops. Nowadays, obviously, uh, there's uh, about 70% of betting is, is, is undertaken online. And as a result of that change, what we've seen is a change in, in behaviours, increasingly people betting in the evenings, less so uh, in the afternoons. There's been a, there's been a movement from afternoons into, into evenings. Sunday evenings at the moment is obviously the one opportunity where, or the one, one day of the week where we don't have any British racing. Um, the betting industry tell us um, and indeed have provided uh, evidence to us. So that is an increasingly um, popular time with, with customers, um, betting customers betting on, on other sports and indeed other racing and American racing at the moment in particular doing very well on, on Sunday evening. So there's no doubt that, uh, that the, uh, it's the betting customer of all of our customers who that Sunday evening 
is is most um, is most in targeted targeted towards. We're not we're not at this stage expecting significant uh, race goer attendance at that time, particularly through, through through the winter. So that's where the drives come from. Now, obviously, the important thing in, in putting this trial on is twofold. First of all, for us to be able to identify, well, is that demand there? Can this make more revenues for the sport that ultimately that we can return um, across the sport because it's actually a very um, affluent and, uh, and actually successful period? But in addition to that, and the key points um, for us is can the, can the sport actually service it? And by putting on this trial through uh, the early part of next year, we'll be able to gain an, an understanding of both the popularity of it with, with owners and trainers, and also their ability um, through trainers, their staff and, and, and jockeys to, to service it. And that will be obviously what we will be looking at over the course course of those six fixtures. And I should just add, Nick, and, and uh, just a, a, a detail. We're we're still in discussions with the racecourses and and indeed the participants around how that um, piece of uh, how the, those those fixtures will will actually be sh shaping up. But what we are looking at is how we would recompense directly those individuals who are involved in in in, in servicing those servicing those fixtures and of course all of this all of this gives us time as well as part of the industry strategy we have this industry people board led by neil hayward who's now started work to develop a, a longer term plan for our workforce and all of this will give us more time for that group and and, and that piece of work to develop and, and and come up with a with a detailed strategic plan for how we can support the industry's workforce uh, going forward, I'm just going to—I've got Harry Eustace here, um, Richard. I'm just going to ask Harry about this now. Harry, if you've got Sunday evening fixtures, logistically, how is that going to work with with your workforce? Does it pose a problem or not? Uh, well, it was the only thing they talked about in the yard from the six-point sort of proposal from yeah, the BHA, understandably, understandably. Yeah. and they asked me if I would run them on a Sunday evening, and I think. Personally, no. I think you can just take... This isn't something that is enforced on us. It's an option. It's options for meetings and, and it's options for races. And as much as I possibly can, the Sunday series aside for slightly different issues, I try not to run on a Sunday anyway. And that's just sort of the position we take and every trainer is allowed to decide to do that or not. But I think it is difficult... On one side of their proposal, it's supporting the industry and the workforce. And then on the other side, you are putting Sunday evening racing on, which is quite a difficult sell from for the workforce po point of view. Yeah. And did, did, I, did I get the implication there that some of the revenue, from, was Richard saying some of the revenue from that well, could go directly to... Well, absolutely. He's still there, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, absolutely. So was that right, Richard, that yeah. some of the... Some of the revenue that could come from uh, from Sunday night racing could actually go to the the stables and go to trainers in order to to, to help on that particular front. That's exactly what we're looking at, Cornelius. How how we how we can do that? So we're th we're looking at relatively high value races for relatively lower rated horses. So you you create that incentive for the owner and trainers of of horses rated in the fifties and sixties and perhaps seventies. Um, by offering a lot more prize money than they'd normally be able to run for. And in addition to that, the, those those payments to, 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 to those members of staff and, and, and riders who might be uh, servicing those fixtures. So it's a combination of, of, of those things that, as, as Harry rightly says, 
some trainers they'll say that's not for me and and that's not for my staff um but we'll we'll see if there is a demand and appetite there and 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 these six fixtures will allow us to to test and learn and i would say that a, a lot with with what we're doing here and i think again cornelius you touched on this we're going to be trying lots of different things over the next couple of years some of which have been announced and there's there's further things that we're looking at and looking to to finalize before before the start of 2024 anyone any real nuggets that we're all going to be talking about as a result <laughs> you know you say you say there could be more to more to come gosh that well, could get the that could get the the staff at Harry's very excited if there are some more points to come that could be a big interest well i, I mean there's 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 further ideas that we'll we'll test and learn i'm sure over over the next the next couple of the next couple of years so what i was really meaning is that we will these these things will evolve as we learn as we as, as we try them um and and we'll find out we'll find out in the first 3 months of of next next year whether Sunday evening racing in Britain is something that we want to develop further and possibly extend, or whether actually it's not for us. Can I pick up one other thing about Sundays? Uh, And you're too young to remember this. (laughs) But uh, the the, the fact is that um, in the 1990s, when Sunday racing came... Come on, he's definitely not too young to remember that. (laughs) Well, it's it's 30 years ago now when that uh, that first... first Day at Doncaster took place. I, rem- I without... remember that. Yeah. Do you remember that? You yeah, wonder. Harry probably remembers that. Well, I don't remember. No, that, I, don't. I was actually there, uh, but for for that day, and so we had racing at Doncaster, and that was in 1992, I yeah. think. Uh, without and there was a Sunday, wasn't there? The elite hurdles uh, run on a Sunday at Cheltenham, one by Morley Street. And the big thing then, Richard, was we're going to make Sundays fantastic. This is going to be the day that lots of people have got an opportunity to uh, come to the races. We're going to make them great. And over the last 30 years. Racing has failed to deliver and failed to deliver and failed to deliver with noticeable exceptions throughout that time. And I'm sure the quotes from you and from others at BHA now could have gone back to, was it the Jockey Club in those days or the BHB or whatever it was called at that stage? Yeah, I mean, that's very fair. And we understand that's that's been a, 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 a frustration, hasn't it, that we haven't been able to improve, improve Sundays. And, and, you know, we know the reasons why some of the larger race courses make it find it very difficult to make it work commercially that corporate uh, that hospitality market on a Sunday is is not a market that, uh, that that is particularly strong I think the difference here Cornelius and why I'm more optimistic is that we are creating a new set of fixtures in 2024 premier premier fixtures or, or, or a premier tier of racing they will be funded differently so for the first time we'll actually have really financial incentives for a race course to, to move on to a Sunday, to put on a premier fixture, because it would generate increased funding for them and allow, and allow them to be part of a, a premier tier that perhaps that they can't reach uh, elsewhere elsewhere in the week. Now, I, I've no doubt that, that for some race courses, Sunday racing will still not uh, will still not appeal to them. So we're not suddenly expecting in 2024 a mad rush of, of race courses wanting to uh, suddenly uh, put, put high quality racing onto Sundays. But we're doing something quite tangible here that I believe can make a difference and that there'll be certain race courses, particular race courses, that can put some quality racing on a Sunday. We can create some new premier fixtures and Sunday racing can gradually start to strengthen. Richard, one final point, and I know this was a point I raised with Julie Harrington earlier in the week, and it's a point that Lydia Hislop raised in the in the press conference with the BHA earlier in the week as well, and that is the 
the fundamental volume of racing full stop. And you and I spoke earlier in the year, you said, I think it will come to a point where we are going to need to trim the fixture list in order to make the sport stronger. You're not trimming the fixture list. And indeed, the fixture list might even grow in 2024, 2025, if some of those fixtures from the summer are, are moved into the autumn. It's not impossible. We'll end up with, with more races than we, we've got at the moment. Yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the key components of this, of this strategy, of the plan, is to make racing more competitive. So, so there, there will be less racing in 2024 as a result of the proposals that we've announced uh, this week. So if we just split very quickly the two codes, jump racing, 300 fewer races spread across the the, the, the course of the year that decline. Now, some of that will be taken from, from fewer fixtures. Some of it will be fewer races on fixtures, but there'll be, there'll be 300 fewer fixtures, uh, sorry, 300 fewer races, jump races in, in 2024. Now that's program races. If we end up with more horses than, 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 than we expect, then we'll divide more races. So we may end up staging more races, but that will only be because the demand is there from divisions. There will be 300 fewer programme races. On the Over jumps. Flat, and just on the flat, that's where we're looking to move races from uh, summer in particular into the autumn and, and early winter so that we can support competitiveness, but do so um, whilst protecting the sports sports revenues. But I, I think if, if, if I said for 2024, we would end up probably between 20 and 25 fewer fixtures, that's primarily jump fixtures, and in total around 300 fewer races. I, I, I think that's a more accurate reflection of what we're looking at for next year. Welcome back. There was some very good racing yesterday. Aidan O'Brien uh, roared through yesterday with, with, with quite some significant power, courtesy of his two bears, Paddington and Little Big Bear. We'll start with Paddington in the Irish Guineas, ridden by Ryan Moore, who I suppose could have gone to, to Haydock had they considered the importance of Little Big Bear paramount. That was left to Frankie Dettori, but a classic is a classic. And Paddington in the Michael Table, first silks here, sitting in second behind High Royal, perfect trip but showed great professionalism I thought Harry to what extent was this a, a big blow for the 2000 guineas form high royal running okay but royal scotsman not really running much of a race at all uh, I was actually just thinking the opposite Nick to I was thinking that you know high royal has sort of franked the guineas form and it would be a very exciting match-up. And some big run Palace. from high royal wasn't it very mm. big and I suppose another sound enough run from Galleron as well yeah Royal Scotsman, clearly frustrating, I would say, rather than, than, than a, I mean, that's obviously probably below form of the 2,000 guineas, but he had he he put a never, big... Never a factor, was he? Yeah, and he put a big effort in on 2,000 guineas day. You know, he was keen and then still finished, and you just, you know, it's tough. I thought the extra bit of professionalism before the before the video ran there was that he'd been slowly into stride Paddington, so mm. he had to, he was in a bad position in the very early strides. Ryan Moore had to get him to just get into a good position. He was made to work hard there, wasn't he? But he responded well. But so did High Royal. You see, I know he's eventually finished third, but when Paddington came alongside, he he found more. But then Paddington found mm. even more. Um, nice nice performance, I thought, by High Royal as well. Paddington versus Chaldean in the St. James's Palace. Love the St. James's Palace. I think it really tests a three-year-old. A round mile as well. Draws quite important. In terms of just real talent and brilliance, 
Could you give it to one over, over the other? Uh, I'll side with Chaldean at the moment. What tips you that way? Um, well, he's done more. He's got more experience and he looked incredibly straightforward that day at um, Newmarket. And, um, and I'm sorry, I'm English too. So. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of tribalism there as well. Yeah. Uh, is there a sense to which, Cornelius, you think maybe we... We all are damning Chaldean with a bit of faint praise. We talk about him as hardy and professional, and it was a pretty, pretty taking performance the other day. I don't think we are. No, I don't think we are. I thought it was a really nice performance at Newmarket. The horse that's chased him home has run a nice race there. Paddington's clearly uh, progressive and is going to bear down uh, on Chaldean. Oh, sorry, 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 you did sorry, that. Somebody sorry. had to do it. Um, I promise you, I won't do it again. Uh, um, but um, you know, I think it's going to be an absolutely fascinating encounter. To to you know, quite possibly too hard to call between them at the moment. Well, he's not from Peru, he's from Bally Doyle, and this is what Aidan O'Brien had to say about him after the race. Aidan O'Brien has just won his 12th Tattersall's Irish 2000 guineas with Paddington. Aidan, what a long way this horse has come in a pretty short space of time. How much has he surprised you with his progression? Yeah, um, we, we loved him for his first run last year, uh, Gary, and he went to Ascot and... Uh, uh, listen, he, he just suffered from stage fright and uh, Ryan rode him and he just did nothing right. So we, we gave him plenty of time. Uh, then he came back and won his maiden here very easily with Seamus. Um, he loved him that day. So um, because of that, uh, he'd only had the two runs. Uh, we kind of ran out of time then. And then he, he, he wintered very well, went into the spring very well. And we were looking for somewhere to start him. And he had a nice, respectable mark from the maiden he won. And then he went and won the Madrid handicap at the Cor at, at, at Nace. Didn't win mad impressive or anything but won a couple of lengths snug and then he made great progress from there to the Tetrack here uh, Seamus rode him and, and loved him um, Adrian and uh, Alan have been riding him out and Andrew's in charge of him, they've all been very happy with him since then um, his work was very good Seamus has been riding him in his work um, um, I suppose uh, the, the thing we weren't sure about was the good ground uh, all his runs because of the days he ran were, were all on soft ground so we weren't sure what was going to happen on this ground but obviously uh, he took it in his stride and he looks a very classy horse uh, Ryan gave him a beautiful ride today he got a lovely position after being slow away and uh, won very nice and he was very happy with him I remember after the Tetrock he was strongly considering going to France what was it in the end that maybe tilted the balance in, ahead of a trip to the Curragh? Yeah we, we thought we'd have more time we would give him more time to go to France and we all said Hans Andersen there who ran in France uh, he ran in France and pulled the muscles in his back and came out of the race lame so that was the end of him but he was there for the race and it suited to give Paddington more time so it all came together perfect for him really very much so. And in terms of the race itself, was it relatively straightforward for Ryan? Did he... it, it was, yeah. Ryan was going to be very happy to go forward and make the run if he had to, but he was a little bit slow away, so he had to think very quick. He got himself out of the pocket very quick and in, into a position where he wasn't going to be dictated to by anybody else in the race, and that was the position he had. Uh, I think that move and that quick thinking made all the difference to him. He had him in a lovely position, uncomplicated. He felt that he was in control of his horse all the way through the race and he wasn't being dictated by anybody so um, quickened up very well when he shortened him up he's still a little bit green when he got there uh, he curled up and ran around a little bit from lack of experience probably um, but he would have learnt a lot today on fast ground where he was running on soft ground before but wouldn't have been learning as much as this St James's Palace I suppose would be the obvious next stop of all as well would that be right? Yeah I think so what usually happens we go home for a week and ten days and talk to the, the, the boys and then they talk to Ryan and then they decide what they're going to do it, it looks the perfect race for him uh, it's a nice timeline between now and then if everything is well uh, for him between now and then and especially when he handles the nice ground as well as he did I think it, it looks perfect but uh, they will decide.
Aidan O'Brien, let's transition to Haydock, where he struck with little Big Bear. This was a, a satisfying result if you love the sport, insofar as this horse was brilliant last year as a two-year-old before injury curtailed his season and he wasn't able to run in the Dewhurst. We know what happened in the Guineas. But there was a leap of faith, Harry, wasn't there, in terms of you know, really launching yourself behind him yesterday. Here he is under Frankie Dottori up the standside rail. Yeah, he was obviously a very, very good two-year-old last year and um, he's obviously certainly back to form here and, and you felt watching the guineas that you know, the next time you'd see him would be over six so he looks a great big imposing horse there too I'm sure he's good to, look in, good to look at in the flesh Now he's going to be a very short price favourite for the Commonwealth Cup and he sauntered through this race really what an enormous horse but just keep your eye on the grey should have been a ring and keep your eye on how far clear this pair who've raced mainly either hard up against this fence or one off the fence have finished ahead of their rivals. And some of those are beaten miles, including the very useful cold case in the yellow colours. Mm -hmm. The track bias at Haydock yesterday was insane, wasn't you, it? You had, to be on the, you had to be on this side, didn't you? I mean, look at that. Yeah. Still learning as well, isn't he, the winner? So he's still being... Well, he had a bad race in the beginning. Yeah. In that you don't like seeing your horses run like that. So, no. you know, that would have been a big confidence boost for him and um, he'll take a lot of beating you would imagine and it's a, it's a cracking trial as well for the Commonwealth Cup isn't it mm. um, so uh, there have been winners there have been what's the Commonwealth Cup's been going about seven or eight years and I think uh, of the placed horses a whole lot of them have all come uh, from from that particular race just love the way he stamped he stamped his authority but you're absolutely right to identify the runner-up has yeah. gone has gone with him and has run uh, a, a very striking race as well yeah yeah and they're up against that rail and a horse like Matilda Picot who ran so well in the guineas and she's trapped out in the swamp there she's actually yeah. run an amazing yeah. race yeah but and that track bias is even more relevant when we come to the, um, the temple, to the temple stakes, stakes as well. Exactly. Mm. And again, it's, it's deceptive because you know that, that Dramatised as a winner of the Temple Stakes makes sense. Yeah. You know she's very good. You know she was a very good two-year-old. You see she's won the race. You see the first, second and third and you don't go, oh, well, that seems strange. When you watch the race, again, mm. if, you're out, if you're out deep, you just never, never stood a chance, did you? Mm. And William knew it. You know, he never came off the rail, even though it was tight and he could have sort of I think switch round to get out of traffic. I don't think he was leaving the rail at all. He just waited for the gap to come through, and then, of course, she was good enough to go through. But you did have to be there, it seemed. But she's a you know, three-year-old filly, mm. very, very fast, and gets all those gets all those yeah. allowances against against the older sprinters. Yeah, yeah. Hence William was on because obviously, you know, Danny, I'm sure would have loved to been there, but unfortunately couldn't do the weight. So and probably won't be able to do for quite some time no, yeah, either. Unfortunately for him. This is it. Silver colours of Steve Parkins Clipper Logistics again. He will not. He will not allow his boot to come off that paint. No. Living the dreams. Run another in the pink. Has run another nice race. But um, but if you're but if you're from, from if you're Twilight over there, Pools, if you're from Chibley Park colours out, you've got no chance. Yeah, Royal Acclaims yeah. actually run quite well. Navy colours. Happy Romance. They're but they're just. Well, the draw is what was, was it? Was it 10, 14, 13, 11? The first, mm, first yeah. four home. But it was very striking yesterday. I, I just, I really liked 
her attitude as well um, dramatised because she, I think um, uh, it was Danny Tudhope who said last year riding her on occasion was like uh, sitting on a stick of dynamite. But then she went to America and Carl Berg explained she actually that's really helped her, her growing up process. And she looked, the, she looked a, a real pro there. And ironic that William should have been on board as William was um, on board the Godolphin horse that beat her uh, in Keeneland, wasn't it? Um, Mischief Magic. So, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, that, that was nice. But that, there's a lot of dreaming. So they're going to go Kingstand and then Nunthorpe, I think, aren't they? That's, uh, that, that's the general plan. Kingstand thinking we're going to have to take on the Aussies. Uh, Nunthorpe, well, it's the, the, the local track to, to the owner and... Um, local track for, for the stable as well, or big local track for the stable, so lots of excitement is going through to the Nunthorpe. These, these sprints, just the, feeling these sprints, you've got your overseas raiders, but you've got some very nice um, lo local horses, British horses for the big sprints this year. They and could be very exciting. Mares or fillies. Yeah, uh, Zia Blue, Blue is certainly a good bringing a filly over as well. So. And she, she's favourite at the moment, isn't she? She is at Your the moment, yeah, Gatta, yeah. Kulin, Kulin yeah. Gatta, yeah. yeah. Um, and is she very much the pick of the Australians coming to, to Royal Ascot? Yeah, I think? think so. Her form's very good. Back in Australia, she's what they call wait for age, Group 1 winner rather than Group 1 handicap winner, and she, I think she's won two of them. Um, I think Mooney Valley and Flemington. So the straight course at Flemington shouldn't, at uh, Ascot shouldn't cause her any problems, I think. Obviously a bit stiffer, but um, she, she's very smart and they're very excited. Your brother David, he's a joint licensee with, with Kieran Maher. Yep. I, I read a, a piece in, in one of the Australian papers this week saying they'd now tipped over the 1,000 horses in training, Mark, which was just so <laughs> mind-blowing. I was struggling uh, how did they to get, get my stuff? head around it. <laughs> well, yeah, great <laughs> I mean, question. Um, I think that sounds They'd run about a few right. on a Sunday night, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they run a few every day. I think that's, you know, it's... I was down in December visiting, and it's an extraordinary setup. And they've, they are creating what is an enormous... It's a beast, isn't it? Beast, yeah. It really is. It's, and it, the, the extraordinary thing is sort of how like, efficient and successful it is, because their strike rate is still, I think, you know, it's 20% plus, and it just doesn't seem to miss a beat, really, which is sort of credit to... All of them, really. What's their secret? How have they done it? Uh, I think it's twofold. Well, like everyone, I think just a lot of hard work. Mm. Kieran does seem to have a very good knack of employing the right people at, in the right places. And you know, Annabelle Neesham, who is now training, and, and my brother. and She'll have a thousand horses this time. She won't be far away. Well. Yeah, she's, she's their biggest danger, I mm. would imagine, bar, bar Chris Waller. But... Um, he, he, he sort of landed on two pieces of luck or, or timing, Kieran, that, that has helped them. Um, he was successful just when Peter Moody retired. And they shared a lot of owners. I think there was a natural growth there for him. And then again, they were doing very well. Um, Darren Weir got, got banned. And, and then there was a the natural growth into, into Ballarat. And yeah. that's, that's sort of how it happened, yeah. I mean, I, I spent a little bit of time with, uh, with David last year when when I was down for the cup and just seeing the amount that he had to organise mm. was just just phenomenal. Um, and doubtless you share many characteristics, I don't know, but just the, the, the speed of thought and just having to get that many people and horses arranged logistically, is you're never off. He just spends a lot of time on his iPad. 
Mm. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of organising, and, and you have to be very everything has to be very planned, and everyone knows what they're doing, and and that's that's what they've created better than most. I think. Do you think that? Do you think that could ever happen here? Something on that scale? I remember Mark Johnston suggesting it. He could. He could cope with that sort of a setup because his infrastructure was in place to I, be able to do it. To be honest, I don't. I don't see why not. It just takes the right, the right people and the right structure. But you know, you could very easily have, you know, a Lambourne Newmarket Midland base, and as long as you have employed the right people and and everyone talks enough and, and you go through a sort of central process where everyone's involved in all the dis- decision making I think in some ways it would make a lot of sense transport costs and you know there are some horses that suit tracks or, or, or whatever or, or the opportunities that, that, that could work around yeah so you could yeah you could have a, a major base in each of the of the training centers fill that base with 200 horses apiece have a CEO running the whole thing yeah, I, joint trainers. I don't necessarily see why not. You probably would have your main base, whoever that is. Say it is Mark, and he has what you Charlie. more no, or yeah. Charlie. Sorry, yeah, more a sort of satellite yard, Newmarket and Lambourne. You know, I don't, I don't see why that's that's not doable. Lots of people use four men and and that sort of stuff. And and you know, if you've employed the right senior staff in particular, I mean, you hear a lot of horses that, or, or you see a lot of horses that leave. The the obvious one is new market at the sales and go elsewhere and thrive. You know, rather than watch someone else thrive with them, why don't you just take them yourself and send them to your landborn base or whatever? You can see the way this is going. <laughs> Trained by Harry Eustace, but which branch of yeah. Harry Eustace? <laughs> franchise, yeah. franchisee, is this, <laughs> is this happening? Um, I, if you'd asked people running the sport 10, 15, 20 years ago, they would often say, there are going to be fewer trainers, there are going to be fewer race courses, that everything's going to be much more. And it really goes back to what we were talking mm-hmm. about at the beginning of the, beginning of the show. But um, it's, it's so exciting to have another very, very good Australian horse coming to Royal Ascot. I mean, they make such a difference to the whole event, don't they? Yeah, and we saw that last year. I mean, he was awesome nature strip. Oh. And, and frankly, he looked it in the paddock. And it lit the whole meeting, yeah. didn't it? Yeah, uh, and it's great to see. Uh, Cornelius mentioned a Sheen Murphy, who will be riding the Foxes in the Derby for Andrew Balding, a horse with a pretty good chance off the back of his victory in the Dante Stakes at York. The horse he beat in the Dante, you'll remember the grey coming up the stand side, was White Birch, trained by John Joseph Murphy in Ireland, whose son and assistant George is on the line now, I hope. And here is White Birch on the left in the uh, colours of Chantal Regalado Gonzalez. George, good morning. Morning, Nick. How are you? I'm good, and I'm sorry to keep you waiting. I know you're on a bit of a tight schedule this morning, uh, but we're watching footage of the Dante again. Your horse finished off really strongly. How optimistic are you that he can do best of those Dante horses next Saturday at Epsom? Um, I don't know. We're, we're very happy with how he's come out of the race. Um, he, he didn't really lose a lot of weight travelling. He, um, he, he seems in great form, so I think I think the mile and a half should be okay for him. He 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 finished off very strongly there, so I think uh, I think I think he'll give a good account of himself. And if if he's good enough, he he he's not lacking in in well-being anyway. 
in ter- in terms of this year as a whole, how yeah. how smooth has the has the preparation been? How how straightforward has the run with this horse been? Yeah, it's it's been very good. He's um, he he makes it very easy. He's a very straightforward horse. He um, he's a very sound horse, and and touch wood, he's he's been very healthy all the way through. So. Um, hopefully it stays that way, but it's, everything has gone smoothly so far. To what extent will his temperament be an important factor on Saturday? Because from what we can see, as you said, he's a he's a pro. Yeah, he's he's very chilled out, and um, by the sounds of things, it's it's a very big occasion at Epsom, and um, hope, hopefully he stays that way. But uh, I'd say that that'll have to be a big help to him. The fact that he that he is so relaxed and, and he seems to take everything in his stride. Well, he has done so far, so hopefully he'll do the same on the weekend. Uh, George, uh, is it is it clearly decided who's going to ride him in the derby? Yeah, Colin Keane has been booked uh, for him now, so he, he's going to ride him. Uh, that's a, a very good signing. Obviously, Shane Foley will be riding Spreewell for, for Jessica Harrington. Uh, you, you made mention there, you said, I, I gather it's a big occasion. That makes me sort of appreciate the fact that this will be your your first first visit to the derby yeah first time there first time there and um, so really looking forward to it and, and excited about the trip how's the how's the buzz in the yard that's very good sure I suppose a little bit of a mix of uh, nerves nerves and excitement but it's brilliant for we're enjoying it and uh, he's, he, he's made us proud so far anyway in, in all his runs so we're excited and hopefully he'll, he'll run a good race anyway. And the stable, to this point, whilst you've trained many, many good winners under under both codes, I suppose your most celebrated success came with New Mill in the Champion Chase all those years ago. How does having a, a, a pattern class horse and a, a potential champion on the flat compare to some of the jumping exploits? I suppose I, I, was, I was only a kid when New Mill was there, but I remember it was very exciting as well, but <clears throat> definitely since I've been doing adult, this is this has been as an exciting horse as we've had, and uh, but we're we're just hopeful he can he can keep progressing and and um, and and give a good account of himself over there. But of course, it'd be really exciting if he could be there or thereabouts. George, very best of luck. Thanks for hanging on for us. Cheers. Thank you. Bye bye. And it is Harry isn't it, a slightly more diverse cast of characters in this year's derby. I know Aidan's still got a tons in and, and has a, a horse will, I'm sure, start nearly favourite in August Rodan, but there's quite a bit of interest from areas you might not expect. Uh, um, I can't remember the horse now, but Jesse Harrington's horse. Spreewell. Yeah, I thought that was particularly taking and, and would be a you know fantastic result, you know, based on what she's has gone through and is going through at the moment. Um, and if you'd said after the 2006 champion chase, <laughs> when Moscow Flyer was favourite yeah. and fluffed his lines and Newmill came at 1-40-1, yeah. that John Joseph Murphy and Jesse Harrington yeah, would have yeah. two in the top five yes. and the betting for the derby and 
10 years, 20 years time, you'd, people would have gone, what? And it shows how the sports have changed, doesn't it? In, in those days, people would say anyone could potentially win the champion chase, the Cheltenham Gold Cup, Grand National, um, the champion hurdle. But actually, nowadays, it's the, the, the potential winners are from a much smaller pool. Well, actually, the top flat races, obviously Coolmore are big, obviously Godolphin are big, obviously Judmont are big, but there are plenty of others around as well, which has been really refreshing, I think, for flat racing over the last 10 yeah. years or so. I think the other interesting one will be, I would, well, I won't make a bet with you, but I would say Passenger will be supplemented. I, I would guess. Oh, it yeah. seems that that's, that's yeah, the yeah. way they're leaning. Yeah. And, and why you can't blame them. Why would yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. be interesting. Was your read of the Dante then that Passenger was unlucky? Um, it was, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying wins, but certainly runs a race where you go to Epsom full of confidence. Second run ever, I think. Um, I think you know. I would have learned plenty from that being in amongst horses. Um, He's there, just locked up behind horses in those mm. Niarcos family colours, the white cap at the moment. You know, I don't. I'm not. I wouldn't have said he wins because when he does get out, he sort of he still gallops the line really, that rather than absolutely sort of thundering home. But it will have done him a world of good. That he'll have learned a huge amount and. Um, He's trained by a man who knows what he's doing. So that's passenger. Um, Ed Walker. Well, he's never trained the winner of the Champion Chase, but he does have a, <laughs> a leading contender for the Derby in the shape of uh, a Y Piro. Ed's on the line now. Hi, Ed. Morning, Nick. Uh, how's Y Piro doing? Yeah, really good, thanks. Um, yeah, he's doing well. Came out of Linkfield really well, and um, yeah, sort of final work's pretty much done. So happy with him. What did you think you had going into Lingfield? Uh, I thought we had a pretty good horse. I mean, we left him in the derby for a reason, and we stuck him in that good maiden um, at Newmarket to really find out where we were. Um, you know, not having a huge number of, of top-class mile-and-a-half horses. And, you know, he was really impressive at Newmarket. And, I mean, obviously, the nature of a, of a trial, you go into a trial to see where you are. So I was, I was really sort of, um, you know, Really pleased, obviously, to give give military order such a good run for his money. And if military order is in in many people's eyes the sort of safe choice for the Derby, you can't surely be too too far behind him. Is there anything that gives you encouragement that you can reverse that form? Well, I think you know my horse was still very green um, at Lingfield, <clears throat> and he it's only his third start. He's never really been in a battle before. Um, you know, he, he had a, a, a run at Kempton at two when he was still very sort of immature. Um, and then Newmarket, he won very comfortably. And um, I, I just think there's still a lot of improvement. He's making giant strides with every every time he sets foot on a race course, he's improving significantly. And I think there's still more to come. Lingfield wouldn't really have been his ideal track. I mean, I think probably everyone in that race could say the same about their horses, um, including the winner. So... You know, I think everyone would be better off on a, on a galloping turf track. Um, but I, you know, I think the best horse probably won on the day. But also, William had a, a, a dream split up the rail there as we were getting slightly sort of put off off balance and, and um, pushed out wide coming into the straight. So, um, you know, I think there is improvement to come. You, you sort of, I, I sort of sense a, a calm air of confidence about you. Uh, I, I wonder how. I wonder how this compares to your previous experience of, of going into the derby with the, 
massively talked about English King, who who was there as uh, as favourite, and everyone was getting massively excited about. And then we had the the jockey bookings and all the drama surrounding that. Are you are you enjoying the build up to this a bit more? Yeah, it's much more relaxing. There was just a bit too much. Um, there was a bit too much attention with English King, so it's quite nice to be a bit more below the radar. And um, at the moment. Uh, yeah, at the moment, yeah, and um, yeah, it's it's a wide open race. I mean, I think there's any one of ten horses in there. I think that that could you could very feasibly, you know, back with confidence. Um, so it's really exciting, and um, you know, we, we've got a, a live live chance again, and uh, and yeah, it's just a little bit more a sort of low key than last time. Is that dream loper over your over your left shoulder? Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It'd take. We're not going to forget he, about her. No, he'd he'd have to win, wouldn't he, to to supplant to supplant her in pride of place. There, she's she's got her absolutely rightful place on your. On oh your yeah, very place. much so. No, she's a, a very very special mare, Trim Loafer. Um, so yeah, he'd have to he'd have to be um he'd have to be pretty good to knock her off the windowsill there. Well, it gives me great pleasure to welcome for the first time to the Luck on Sunday studio the teenage riding sensation that is uh, Billy Lochnan, who's accompanied by his dad, his mentor, his biggest supporter, Mark, and a man who supplies the odd winner along the way as well. Um, gentlemen, thanks so much for, for, for coming in. Billy, things are rocking and rolling, but the one thing that really struck me was when there was a little period without a winner, the frustration you, you expressed. Um, just, just give us an idea of, of of why and how this is this is so so deep in your bones. This this job. Well, I think riding winners is everything for me. Um, yeah, we had a little period for a couple of weeks when I didn't have a winner, and sort of just plays on you a little bit when you when I've been riding quite a few of them quite quite quickly as well. Um, it was playing with me a little bit, but no, it was great to get get a double up on on Thursday and get the ball rolling again. Now you do seem to to naturally be smiling most of the time is that is is that just him mark or or is it just the the joy the job brings oh, he's he, like he's 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 normally in good form all the time but um the last two weeks i haven't seen a few smiles and i've seen a few growls as well but um look, he's 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 doing really well and he's um he's a happy boy so can i just go back to the early days the very very early days when you know bef- almost before you you could ride a pony or or when you were you were you were just a, a boy, and and what what it was about horses and ponies and the sport and what your dad was doing that really grabbed you. I'm not I'm not too sure. I think I've always just been around horses all my life, and as soon as I could say I could wanted to be a jockey, that's all I've ever said I wanted to be. It's just I've been on ponies like rocking horses, everything since I've been. Since I've been a baby, so yeah, I've just always been in it, and it's always what I've wanted to do. And as a parent, you can't, you can't really force that, can you? No. Um, his younger brother Jack uh, used to ride lots of ponies, and Jack plays football, and he hasn't much interest in riding. But Billy, they were on the armchairs, and they were battering the armchairs. We had to buy more sofas <laughs> when we were as they were growing up. But Billy, from the word minute he was able to walk, he was every morning, every afternoon out the yard. Um, when we moved to England, he was at Wolverhampton every Saturday night. Every chance he got, he was in the lorry, and he just lives and breathes it. And he was always going to be a jockey. When he was six, he went into school, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we had to make colours, 
he had to cut up colours and sew them back and make them small. He went to school as a jockey, so I think that's all he's ever wanted to be. And did you get much school work done at the same time? Did you were you were you good at school? Yeah, my pa I passed all my GCSEs. So last year there was um, a lot of sort of things going on at the same time. I was trying to get on my apprentice course as early as possible mm. in August. So when my GCSEs were on, I was doing my pre-license for my assess uh, pre-license assessment for my apprentice course in the middle of my GCSEs. So there was a lot going on sort of this time last year, but no, I, I did pass them all, so no, it was good. And of course, you, know, you one of the strengths of, of being a, a good rider is you you need that you need that sharpness of mind. You need that you need that intelligence, Mark, don't you? Yeah. Um, from the start, even when, when he was young, he was going through the form of all my horses when he was nine and ten. He knew more about my horses than I knew about them. Um, going to Wolverhampton, he was able to tell me what would be, you know, where they're drawn, what he thinks will make the pace. So it was always in, in his head um, from a young age. So he was listening to me speaking to owners every day, and he was like a sponge. So, you know, monk, as they say, the monkey sees, monkey does. Isn't that what they say? So... Um, but he done. He, you know, he was always good. Eighty-three rides at Wolverhampton, twenty of them have been successful. You're going at ridiculous strike rate there. When you walk into that place, you just must feel so at one with it. Wolves is my favourite track. I, I can't say it hasn't. It's always been my favourite track since I've since I've been a baby. Um, I was always there when I was young. Like as Dad said, every Saturday night, always at Wolves, running around at his feet. And then I was sort of riding work there since I was thirteen. Um, so, yeah, I've, be, I've been around Wolves a, a fair few times. And I know people that say, well, hang on, it's a flat left-handed oval. It can't have that many idiosyncrasies. But you watch enough racing there, and it's not the easiest place sometimes, especially over seven and one or two of the other trips. Yeah, it can be tricky. Um, the draw is key there. Um, if you get a good draw, it, it, it makes a lot of difference to how the race is going to plan out around you. Um, but, no, it, it is a tricky enough track, but I just I love the place. You, you got in with the pony racing, didn't you? Yeah. Before before it all it, it all kicked off, I remember being at Newbury one day when you won. I'm pretty sure you yeah. won, and you um obviously you were over the moon, Mark, as you as you would have been. But I I sensed a a strong level of expectation even then. Yeah, um, Billy was mad keen to do it ten and eleven, and I kept him back and said you're not ready. And I wanted him to hit the ground running. Um, we're very lucky that Richard Dawn Prince gave us some good ponies to highlight. Billy, um, we had some nice ponies as well, but it was a uh, it's a long time in the making. Like he's only riding seven months, but it's been it's sixteen, seventeen years. But for the last since he's been thirteen, it's been full on. So. And, and were there people coming up to you saying you've you've got a serious talent on your hands here? I it's easy. Dad says, you know, my da I, I, I I'm his biggest fan. Put it that way, but. Since he's been young, he was always one with a horse. The minute you put, I give a lot of people their first rides, first winners, and the minute I put Billy on a horse, he just gelled. And you can't put that into somebody. That has to be there. It's a talent. Um, but he was always good, and he rode his very first ever winner in Cockleborough Point to Point on a little 13 2 pony. And he walked the track with, I think it was Roddy Green walked the track, or maybe Carl Llewellyn. Um, I'm not sure, but anyway, he had he knew what he was doing before he went out, and I just let him off. And I think I was more nervous than he was. And he had a game plan on his first ever ride himself, and he went and won. And of all the winners I've trained, and I've trained some nice winners in nice places, but I think that was the biggest kick I've ever had. It was brilliant.
and it was the fact that it was the fact that you thought your way through it as well as the ability on the horse. How much do you enjoy that kind of tactical, strategic aspect of the sport? Yeah, um, a lot goes into it behind trying to work out what's going to happen around you in, in throughout the race, and I think that's key because if you can sort of picture what's going to happen around you throughout the race and you can try and hope to be in the best position the way how the race you think is going to unfold I think especially on the all weather tracks it's key to see what's happening around you and trying to get yourself in the best position for when they they sort of kick off the bends and talk to me a bit about your dad as your as your mentor you guys are spending a lot of time with each other um, it's not always straightforward but Tell me a little bit about how, how the relationship works at the moment. Yeah, um, it, all, all in all, it is quite good. Um, obviously, there is some ups and downs and dis disagreements, um, like any relationship, I suppose. But on the whole, it's quite good. And look, we, like you say, we, we do loads of things together and sort of do it as a team. So, What does he do best? Drive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you must feel so good. Well, he's got his license now, so he's driving himself <laughs> for the last week. But um, all, all, his mum actually is the mediator between the pair of us. We're we're very alike, apparently, um, and we have goals and we want winners. And but every time we have a a bit of a disagreement, mum is in the middle. So she's she's been the biggest behind myself and Billy. She's behind me in one million percent, and she's without her, me and him wouldn't be sitting where we are. So. It's all yeah, testament massive. to her as well. Yeah, mum's great for all of us. She sort of runs me and dad. <laughs> Without her, um, yeah, look, she does, she does everything for both of us and she's massive behind the scenes. And, and how important have you found that? Because obviously you're on this roller coaster. Everybody wants a, a piece of you. Everybody wants to talk to you as well. And you've got to focus on the, on the riding. Are you finding it okay? Are you finding that side of it reasonably straightforward? Yeah, um, look, the main goal for me is riding and riding winners, so I sort of try and put that first and focus on that, and then all the other things have to sort of come come as they do. Um, but it is busy, and it's good, and I enjoy it, so I enjoy every minute of it. And obviously, when you're in the situation that you're in, and you've raced through two-thirds of your of your claim already, and it's, you're still only just 17, um, is there a sense of, right, I've got to try and work out what I'm going to do when it goes and where to put myself, how I manage my career at that point? Yeah, um, I suppose. But for me, my main goal is just to ride winners. And if that mm -hmm. means you have to go for your claim quite quick, I suppose it is what it is. I'm quite big, um, tall in that sense. So for me, just ever since I started, it was winners, 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 winners. And like I did have a month out to go to America as well um, in February, which was massive for me is being able to go at just 16 to mm -hmm. be able to go to America for for a month was great. Um, Who did you ride for when you were, when you were there? I was based with uh, Anna Mia and David Mia um, and then I was riding track work at Palm Meadows which is by Gulfstream. So I was there every morning and I was based with them and I was riding for loads of different trainers out there. Um, but no, it was great and uh, massive to be able to experience it so young as well and get a feel for what it's like in different countries. And you mentioned you're, t you know, you're tall. Um, is there a bit of you that's thinking, I need to strike while the iron's hot because this is the bit of my life, bit of my development where I'm not going to be struggling too much with weight and so forth? Um, yeah, I suppose, um, like I said, I just want to ride winners. So whether, wherever the winners come, wherever they are, I'm happy to go and ride them. So I am tall. Um, 
I do have to keep an eye on my weight, so does every jockey, but you just have to watch it and just keep keep it down as best as possible. I mean, you've seen a lot of jockeys, Mark. How much is temperament an issue in terms of in terms of sustaining a career? If you've got to have the talent, but you know, to what extent does does having the right mindset? Yeah, really it's a big it's a big thing because um, when you're hungry and you can't eat, it puts you in bad form. Mm. Um, every person, um, but Billy has been watching it since he's been 13, and we went to uh, Liverpool up to a doctor in Liverpool. And he gave us a strict regime, and it's it's working really, really well. But as I said, you know, you have to put that in someone's Billy is just driven, and so I think his weight will be fine, and he'll stop growing. He'll be grand. Welcome back, uh, Cornelius Lyser has rejoined uh, Billy and Mark Lochnan here on the sofa. Uh, Billy's career. Uh, all before him, and, and gloriously so as well. Um, I want to talk now to a man who's had a successful and very important career as a rider, but that comes to an end today. He has a ride in a classic, the Irish 1000 Guineas, for Fozzie Stack on Aspen Grove, and then one ride thereafter, after which it will be pastures new uh, for Mark Enright, whose contribution to the sport has been significant in the saddle and arguably even greater out of the saddle as he has done so much for for other people who are struggling with their mental health and his own struggles were extremely well documented. Uh, Mark, good morning. Morning, Nick. And just explain the the cocktail of emotions today. Your your final rides and a, a new new start on the horizon. Yeah, um, I suppose it was a decision made uh, kind of over Christmas. Really, um, I decided. I was kind of thinking the end of the all-weather season would be would be the end of it. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I spoke to Fozzie about it and we kind of just decided we'd, we'd keep going for the start of the season. We kind of knew there was some nice maidens there to ride and we kind of picked this weekend to, to be the last the last hurrah. And yeah, I suppose, uh, I wouldn't say it's emotional today, but um, yeah, I'd be waking up tomorrow morning as Mark Enright and not Mark Enright, the jockey, I suppose. There have been times during your career where where you didn't really want to be Mark Mark Enright the jockey either. But is it is it very satisfying for you that you you finish quite happy as Mark Enright the jockey? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, it's I, I put in a tough old shift, I suppose, and uh, yeah, it's been a long fifteen or sixteen years. But yeah, no, I'm I'm very content. And look, I'm I'm only thirty one, Nick, and. There's a big bad world out there that I'm looking forward to exploring, you know. And what are you going to explore in that world, Mark? There's an awful lot of goodwill towards you, I know, from from your many, many friends, uh, both sides of the Irish Sea. Yeah, it, it's been great. I've been getting loads of messages and, and uh, tweets and whatever else, and it's great. And look, I, I'm going to take some time to myself. Um, I suppose for the last 15 or 16 years, I said... Uh, I've spent it trying to keep other people happy and trainers and owners and, you know, you're all the time trying to keep them happy and trying to push forward. And I think it's just uh, I'm going to take some time now to, to, to focus on myself and I suppose uh, make myself happy for a while. You've had um, a very versatile career as well as a successful jumps jockey and, a, and as a, a, a flat jockey as, as well. Can can you look back on your, on your body of work and think, yeah, I... I did a pretty good job. Yeah, um, I suppose, look, it, it. I won't say it was a success because, you know, I never reached 
where I wanted to reach. But I didn't fail either. You know, we we done okay. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I won some nice races to Galway Plate. I rode in Grand National, something that I never thought I'd do. Um, yeah, there was, there was a lot of things that I achieved that I never thought I would. Um, I'd, I'd have loved to achieve more, but unfortunately we, we, we didn't. But um, look, I, I'm in the, I'm in the net, um, very happy and I'm, I'm very content with my decision. And as I said, I'm, I'm just looking forward to the future now. We're just enjoying the, the Galway plate again. Some buzz, I'd imagine, given the way you did this. Oh, it, it was great fun, great fun. I mean, he, he was he was one of the outsiders of the field on the day and there was no pressure. Um, I went out to the prayer ring and Eddie O'Leary was there and he said, what are you going to do? And I said, um, I might make the run. He said, God, don't make the running anyway, but be good and handy. And I made the running and thankfully it worked out. So, yeah, there was literally nobody shouting. I'm going celebrating like a lunatic passing <laughs> the line. And it was a wet day, you know, and... I, I don't think anyone in the place had it back and you know I'm stand up here now roaring like a lunatic and punching the air and it's literally <laughs> silence but uh, no it was, a, it was a great day and a day I'll remember forevermore and I know because I uh, was reading the, the lovely piece that you did with, with Darrow Cahur in the, in the paper that the, the, riding a winner in your dad's colours gave you a particularly special satisfaction at, at Dundalk that was brilliant, yeah. Again, uh, a wet cold night in Dundalk. Um, there was nobody there, only it was for uh, Ginny Lynch and Barry Cash. And there was nobody there, only myself and Barry. Um, but yeah, that that was great. Small things like that. Like, you know, I, I, I was a journeyman jockey, Nick, and I, I loved riding winners for, for the smaller people, you know, and the, the smaller trainers, the small owners, and, you know, in, in the small races and things like that gave me great, great satisfaction. What you've done for so many other people has been so significant. I mentioned your contribution to the sport inside the sa- in the saddle, but out of it, but perhaps even even more so because you publicly talked about your your struggles with with mental health. First of all, Mark, how how much did that help you being able to to face your your friends and, and colleagues in in the sport and talk openly about it? Yeah, I, I suppose. Look. I, I'd taken some time out, um, obviously after after what happened, and um, it was all with the help of Adrian McGoldrick, really. Um, you know, I, I got I'd obviously spent some time in St Pat's Mental Hospital, and I got out and I was ready to come back racing. And you know, I was kind of thinking, oh, I, I knew some people knew and other people didn't. I'd originally said I was out with with my appendix, and you know, then I was kind of getting a bit paranoid as oh God, who knows and who doesn't know. And, you know, I spoke to Adrian, you know, that man, I, I can't speak highly enough of him. He's, he's an absolute hero. And, you know, I, I'm very proud to call him a good friend now. Um, so I, I spoke to him about it. I said, look, Adrian, th- this is getting me down. I, I don't know who knows and who doesn't know. And, you know, I, I'm getting a bit paranoid over it. I don't want to lie to people. So he said, let's just put it out there. And, you know, I, not sounding selfish, but I was only doing it for, for myself. You know, I, I just wanted to let people know and, you know, drive on from there. We spoke to the Racing Post about it. Little did I think it was going to be on the front page of the Racing Post the next day. And, you know, I kind of all took off from that. But, you know, it, it, it was very positive. And I, I remember my first day back was in Gorn Park. I rode in the Tiestes. And, you know, I suppose as well as anything else, I was worried about are people going to think I'm mad? What are people going to think of me? You know, are they going to be tiptoeing around me? And I walked into the wear room and David Casey cracked the joke, um, you know, and everyone was laughing. And I went out and fell off 
one of Michael Horrigan's at the last and Tyesta is going to finish second. And it was a real foggy day and this, this little figure appeared from uh, from the fog roaring and shouting, £40,000, £40,000 and you <laughs> fell off. And so it was it was definitely the best bollocking I've ever got. <laughs> and Mark, the, the impact that you've had on, on other riders, young riders, people making their way in the world, is is that something you would like to continue to do? Yeah, look, it, it's it's not something I'll concentrate on, Nick, but it's it's definitely something I don't mind doing. Um, look, all, all I've done, I, I, I don't feel I deserve, you know, um, all the plaudits I get for it and everything else because, look, I've just told my story. I wish I didn't have the story to tell, but I do. You know, I went through it. We came out the other side and, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to talk to people about it. And, you know, if, if any young person or, or older person you know wants to come and speak to me about it I, I i'm always there and you know it's it's something i never mind doing and there's a, a next generation enright as well your your daughter sophie who's who's six is she now she's six now yeah six she was i had her on facetime earlier this morning so she was out um out at home riding the pony on her own which uh thankfully i wasn't there because i'd have been petrified um so no she's great uh, she's the sunshine of my life and she's got you well under control. She has me well and truly <laughs> under control. Tells me what to do. Looks for a few quid every now and then for school tours and book days and whatever else. So, yeah, she has me well under the cosh. <laughs>